Welcome to the Unveiled Podcast. We talk about current topics designed to equip women to be culture shapers and disciple makers, helping you to live with conviction and boldness in a post-Christian world. Today, I've invited Hannah Salomon Bay to join me. She is very involved in the pro-life movement. I recently heard her as a guest on Answers in Genesis and was blessed by her knowledge and her grace. And so, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today. And I just thought we could get right into it. Could you start by telling us a bit about your background? background and your involvement in the pro-life movement. Yes. So thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's uh, definitely a huge honor. Um, And yeah, like you mentioned, I was uh, recently a guest on um, Answers in Genesis podcast. It's something I really enjoy because I'm very passionate about um, pro-life education. I'm currently the president of Western Lifeline, which is the pro-life club at Western University where I am studying. Um, so as you can imagine, um, it's quite a hostile environment, but it's such mm. a fruitful environment because, um, when it comes to abortion here in Canada, uh, women between the ages of 18 and 24 uh, are the ones that, uh, have the most amount of abortions and that is the mm, worst, wow. uh, demographic. So we're able to reach uh, a lot of hearts and minds on a weekly basis. And, um, I guess I would say like the reason why I'm passionate about pro-life, uh, apologetics and pro-life work, uh, it all started, I think in 2015 when Stephanie Gray and Devorah Gilman uh, came to speak at my home church. They um, mm. were um, working for, uh, for the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. And um, not only did they have a pro-life, a very impactful pro-life presentation, uh, they also showed um, abortion victim photography. So the images mm. of what abortion does to pre-born children. And that's the first time that I had seen like the actual images, uh, not just like hearing about abortion, but seeing the images. And that like moved me tremendously. And um, not only was I um, just so moved and grieved by what abortion does to preborn children and women. I was also um, tremendously impacted by uh, the organization and just the confidence and knowledge that um, Devorah and uh, Stephanie had. And I was like, wow, I want to be part of this organization because I never mm. knew that as pro people that we could actually change hearts and minds about abortion. And um, when I learned about apologetics, I was like, wow, this is something that I'm very interested in. Excellent. I think that's great. And I think what you say is so true for so many people. I think many people wonder if they can actually make a difference and if their voice will actually be heard. And we just kind of stay quiet and we we turn a blind eye to this human rights issue because we we don't really realize that we can make a difference and that God will equip us with the words. And maybe we have to put a little effort into educating ourselves, but God will also equip us to do that. And he is much more concerned about this issue than we even are. And so there's a lot of stats out there that are quite alarming. And as Christians, we, um, when we know these stats, it should force us to no longer be quiet and to want to educate ourselves and to be bold and to speak up and advocate as we're able to. And so I'm just wondering if you could share some of those stats with us. You said that it was very influential for you to see some pictures. And I know I've seen some, I can barely get myself to even look at them because they're so graphic, but sometimes we need to force ourselves to to look at pictures or to hear the stats because that kind of propels us into action. So can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so um, since 1969 uh, here in Canada, when abortion started to become legalized, um, over 4 million preborn children have lost their lives through abortion. And uh, on a daily basis, it's about 300 uh, preborn children. And on a yearly basis, it's about 100,000. So when wow. we think of like the number 300, that's like, I mean, the number of people that can fit in a church sanctuary or, or mm. um, I mean, when it comes to uh, just thinking about the faces, the names, everything like that. And it's not so much like who these people could have become it's who they were created in god's image and their lives lives were taken away from them so some of those stats that you gave us are pretty overwhelming and i don't think most of us really realize or maybe we just turn a blind eye we ignore the fact that there are so many murders happening on a daily and yearly basis uh it's a huge issue and we should not be silent about this uh, so can you just tell us a little bit about why it's so important for Christians to speak up? Maybe give us a little hope that we can actually make a difference when we are able to articulate pro-life beliefs and stand up for the rights of the unborn. So just give us a little hope and tell us why it's so important. Yeah, so there, even though like there's so much darkness in our world and there's so much uh, obviously terrible uh, injustice and darkness with abortion, there is so much hope because we serve a living God um, who not only um, we have uh, hope and confidence in his promises for us, uh, for eternal life and uh, everything uh, like that, we also uh, have a beautiful calling, I believe, mm, uh, as Christians mm-hmm. to speak up for those who have no voice. And a couple of verses that I um, particularly uh, keep in mind and remind myself of are from Proverbs. The first Mm. one is from Proverbs 31, verse 8, which says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. And also Proverbs 24, uh, verse 4, which says, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And um, that's something that uh, I keep in my mind all the time. And uh, same thing as well as um, when uh, we as Christians uh, seek to witness and share the gospel, we know that we can't argue anybody into the kingdom of God. Um, Absolutely. We, we can um, present the gospel. We can share all the evidence. We can pray with them, everything like that. Um, but then we leave it in God's hands. And it's in uh, his will, uh, whether um, he uh, leads them to him or not. And same thing uh, with abortion. Like we need to be able to um, articulate articulate uh, pro-life apologetics and beliefs very clearly with people and and show compassion and grace and provide help and resources for women who are in difficult circumstances. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, um, if we, you know, uh, share the truth about abortion with someone, you know, we show them the images, everything like that, and they still go through and have an abortion, even though that is like very hard for us, you know, as pro-life people, as Christians Mm -hmm. to, to cope with thinking about what happened to her child and the effects, negative effects she will most likely experience afterwards. um, We can rest in the fact that um, we trusted God and we did what he called us to do, which is to share the truth and love uh, with uh, wisdom and compassion. Absolutely. And um, I think many people are often concerned about offending or hurting the person that they're talking to, right? And our goal as Christians should always be gospel-centered. So can you show us or share with us just a little bit more about our motivation and the goal of the pro-life movement in Canada? Instead of, obviously, we know we don't want to unnecessarily offend anyone, but the truth often hurts. The gospel is offensive when we first hear it. Until we receive it, it's an offensive um, message to us. And so can you just share with us a little bit about what the goal of accomplishing uh, or the goal that we're trying to accomplish with the pro-life movement. 
Yes. So uh, with the pro-life movement here in Canada, uh, our goal is to make abortion unthinkable. And uh, that can seem like a very daunting uh, goal. And obviously, that's not in our own power. And we know that until Christ comes, there will always be injustice, there will always be evil. But um, for example, like with William Wilberforce in England in the 1800s, when he and his very small group of friends, you know, had that goal to make slavery unthinkable in England, so many people thought that he was crazy. Mm. It never happened. It was the backbone of, of industry and labor in, in England uh, and abroad. And, um, you know, many people told him, well, you're crazy, that will never happen. Um, but when you uh, serve the living God and you uh, seek to establish justice, you know, uh, on this earth and care for those uh, who are in need, anything is possible because it's not in our own strength. Uh, so we have that goal of making abortion unthinkable. And one of the main ways uh, is through uh, effective activism, um, relationship building making the scientific and human rights case for the humanity of preborn children. Because um, for so many people, unless they know what abortion does uh, to preborn children, they will never understand why that's something that they shouldn't, uh, you know, think is, is the best option. Because um, in our culture, in our school system, you know, in the medical field, everything like that, mm -hmm. you know, unplanned pregnancy, you're not ready, you don't have the finances, abortion abortion, abortion. It's not like, oh, what can we do to uh, fix your situation, to help you, to support you, um, to alleviate suffering, everything like that, instead of eliminating the sufferer or um, causing further harm in the situation. Absolutely. I think it's quite devastating out there. I actually know a woman who was uh, supplying as a in the public system. She was doing some substituting as a secretary. And she was shocked at how many young girls would come in in the morning into the office at their school and ask to talk to the guidance counselor. And one after another, my my friend was aware that these girls were going in asking for the guidance counselor to help them because they'd had sex the night before and they were very afraid they didn't want to get pregnant and so without any questions asked without any help offered to these young girls any emotional support they were just immediately given the morning after pill and uh, my friend just saw these young girls leaving not feeling a whole lot better not having a smile on their face but feeling lost and alone as they're leaving the guidance counselor's office and so it's just so heartbreaking to see how the immediate response is just get rid of it get rid of it before anybody knows before you know before it's obvious that there's a baby growing in your room just get rid of it because then you won't actually feel the guilt or the shame or the sense of loss and I think that's so so inaccurate once the life is there once you know that the possibility of life is there we know that we shouldn't do anything to end it and yet that's that's the remedy that are is given to most young girls and I think that should really break our hearts and so when you talk about activism what are some practical ways that the everyday woman can be involved in activism what would you say is effective and reasonable to do yeah so I know that like many of us uh, Christians are involved in many uh, different efforts and that's 
hugely important. Everybody has their own individual gifts and own individual callings. So I'm not saying that like every single you know person should, you know, every single Christian, regardless of their calling should um, do activism. I think it's a very, very important thing. I would say the first thing is that like um, us as Christians, we have the obligation to educate ourselves about um, pro-life apologetics. Um, you know, when human life begins, human rights, everything like that. And I will go into that in, in further detail so that no matter where we are, no matter where we work, no matter who we know, um, we'll be prepared to have an answer. Um, for example, like I, I study at Western and I've always had pro-life laptop stickers so that, you know, people mm. are pro-life and um, there's like resources on there and um, people like feel comfortable, you know, coming up to talk to me about uh, that issue. And I've had that happen a few times. Um, and in particular, you know, one girl came up to me and um, she was one of my classmates and um, she has a one or two year old little girl and she got pregnant in university. Thankfully, mm. she was pro-life and uh, for her and her boyfriend, abortion was not an option. And so she was sharing with me um, that, you know, there's no financial reason for a girl or a woman to have an abortion here in Canada because there are so many uh, resources from the government and other places. Um, but then she also said to me, she's like, as a Christian, I know why abortion is wrong. But what would you say to someone who's not a Christian, like why abortion is wrong? Right. So Big question. I was in the middle of studying and, you know, I was not exactly, you know, expecting to talk about that at that moment. But um, because I, you know, I'm thankful to know pro-life apologetics, I was able to go through the human rights argument with her talking about when um, human life begins and able to equip her uh, with that information uh, for her life. So that's just kind of an example of um, us as Christians being equipped to give an answer, whether it's about our faith or about um, abortion. And that's the basic thing, thing. So, I mean, you know, whether it's your family member or colleague, coworker, that type of thing, um, if they say to you, you know, what do you think about abortion or I'm pregnant, what should I do? Um, you will uh, have the knowledge for that. And then after that, um, there's so many ways that Christians can be involved uh, in the pro-life movement. Um, one of the main ways um, is supporting um, crisis pregnancy centers. Um, I know there are three specifically uh, in Windsor and there's like mm -hmm. practically in every city. And um, a website that I always keep in my mind or I have a card for is uh, choice42.com. Mm. And if... Uh, you ever like if there's a woman you talk to or someone who's in a difficult um, pregnancy situation or they've had an abortion and they regret it and would like counseling. If you just um, reference them to that website, um, they have a directory on there of like a crisis pregnancy center, basically in every city that they could go to. Mm -hmm. or um, post a board of uh, counseling resources and uh, so many other um, helpful things on there. So it's kind of like an all in one place. Um, so choice42.com. And um, that, that is uh, incredibly effective because there are so many uh, women in need and that um, don't know about uh, crisis pregnancy centers. And also for us as Christians, supporting these um, places with donations or volunteer hours, things like that are so important. Um, with our pro-life club at Western, uh, a couple weeks ago, we had Mary Helen Mose, who is the director of Aid to Women Toronto, one of the biggest mm. um, pro-life um, crisis pregnancy centers in Canada. And they're actually the only um, crisis pregnancy center in Canada that is next door, um, well, next door to an abortion clinic, but um, their walls, like on one side, it's the um, crisis pregnancy center. On the other side, it's the Cabbage Town Women's Clinic. Oh, wow. We actually hear the uh, abortionists going up uh, the stairs um, to do the abortion. So sometimes, uh, actually quite frequently, um, the women get the address wrong and they come into Aid to Women in Toronto instead of the abortion clinic. So they have an opportunity to speak to them and um, help them. But last year, despite all of their challenges with lack of funding, you know, due to the pandemic and mm. everything like that, they were able to save 63 pre-born children from being aborted. 
That's fantastic. And those are the kind of things we want to celebrate. And I, I think it's probably a divine appointment when they end up in yes. the other clinic instead. Absolutely. Right. So what would you tell um, or what can you tell us about the different arms of the pro-life movement? What are the different aspects of it? Yeah, so um, there are many uh, different um, aspects of the pro-life movement, but the three main are the pastoral, educational, and political. Um, So as I was talking about when it comes to the pastoral arm, that would include um, crisis pregnancy centers, um, counselors, um, post-abortive counselors, Mm. pastors, um, you know, often like, you know, teachers in schools, that type of thing. Um, People who are um, like on the front lines of helping people who are specifically in that situation in a crisis. Mm -hmm. And, you, and need help. Uh, so that is absolutely essential, um, especially um, for pastors to be equipped to know, uh, to, to be able to speak about abortion. And in my experience, um, there aren't a lot of pastors who are comfortable about speaking um, about abortion from the pulpit. Um, and that's really uh, sad because there are a lot of um, women who have abortions who would consider themselves Christian or have mm. gone to church or do go to church on a regular basis. Um, so it's essential for um, you know churches uh, to be equipped to be able to help women in those situations, and also share you know why abortion is wrong and you know what we can do um, to help women in those situations, and not condemning you know people who are in those situations right. at all. Um, you know having the balance of knowing what is right and wrong, and then also the the grace and compassion and love of God. Because um, I personally have a friend who was raised in a Christian home, and um, she became pregnant uh, through assault um, as a teenager. Mm. And, you know, her parents, um, I don't think that they would ever, been, uh, would ever have been in favor of abortion, but they were just so afraid of the shame, potential shame um, that would come on their family because of that happening. Um, so they forced her to have an abortion against her. Oh, woman. how sad. Wow. And mm. um, that's something that she regrets uh, to this day. She really had no control um, because she was a minor. And, um, you know, thankfully, she's been able to receive like healing. And mm-hmm. um, she's a phenomenal pro-life activist. Um, that's something you don't forget get. So that's why it's so important for um, us as Christians to be equipped um, to help people in those uh, circumstances. Um, the other arm, which I'm uh, mostly um, involved in, is the educational arm. Um, mm. So like I was mentioning earlier, that includes um, like pro-life activism, and that is um, predominantly through um, different groups in cities called Against Abortion. So it will mm. be like Windsor Against Abortion, London Against Abortion, Toronto Against Abortion. Okay, um, good. And on a weekly basis, uh, we go out in the streets and either do postcarding, so putting pro-life um, pamphlets on people's mailboxes with human rights information, um, ultrasound imagery, uh, abortion victim photography, and then also resources if women are in um, crisis pregnancies. So um, doing that and then also um, having abortion victim photography on signs and standing on the streets and talking to people about abortion. And that's something that I do on a very regular basis. Because there's so many people who we would never um, be able to get into a church or never, mm-hmm. they would never come to a pro-life debate. Right. Absolutely never. Um, but if we reach them where they are on the streets, um, we've had like countless hearts and minds changed through that. Um, mm. So that's something that, um, you know, people in Windsor can be involved with through Windsor Against Abortion. Um, I'm involved with London Against Abortion here in London. And um if you know, people are also looking for like a specific pro-life internship, uh, there's the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform in Toronto. Um, they also have uh, internships in Calgary and Vancouver as well. Mm. So whether it's like a two-month program, four-month program, um, where you're equipped um, with an incredible team of like-minded pro-life um, people to be able to address 
all like anything you could possibly ever mm-hmm. wonder about abortion, anything anybody could ever bring up about it, you're equipped to know how to answer it, to be able to give presentations about it, to be able to speak to people on the street about it. So that's something that I did for four months, two summers ago in uh, Toronto. Um, it changed my life. Uh, it was one of the best, uh, most impactful experiences ever. And that's something I carried forward to um, mm. Western, um, to uh, here in London, and being able to share this knowledge with other people and equip other people um, in this. And then the last uh, arm is the political arm, as I uh, mentioned earlier. So that includes um, organizations like We Need a Law, uh, which mm. are seeking to advocate uh, for uh, restrictions on abortion, legal restrictions on abortion. Um, and then um, organizations like Right Now. They're Canada's only uh, political pro-life organization. So they seek uh, to work with uh, MPs in Parliament um, to have them you know, bring forth pro-life legislation. And that includes uh, Kathy Wagenthal. She's a conservative MP from Saskatchewan, and she's tabled mm. the sex-selective abortion ban bill. I believe it's... Uh, bill 232, but actually here in London through We Need a Law, we have bus advertisements running about that. Um, Fantastic. Um, because yeah. there are a number, of, actually a huge percentage of Canadians who are not okay with sex-selective abortion. So seeking to, you know, work on that to be able to yep. uh, change legislation. Um, and you can't have, you can't change legislation unless the culture's minds are changed. So that's why the educational arm is so essential. And then, you know, when we educate people why abortion is wrong, then you're going to have people who are like, wow, I thought I wanted to have an abortion, but actually, no, this is wrong but I'm in this situation or I know someone who's in this situation. So that's why the pastoral arm is so important. Absolutely. I I like how you've um, just really mentioned that. I think as churches, we need to bring this topic into our, our, Sunday morning services into our women's ministries, into our youth ministries, our young adult ministries, our small group ministries. We, we need to be talking about this because unless we talk about it, our, our people aren't going to come and talk to us about it, right? And they're going to be afraid. But as soon as you bring up the topic, that could just spur on one person that is considering or going through a difficult situation or maybe has already partaken in the past and is looking for help and healing. And so I, I agree. I think we need to talk about this more and bring it up more. Even on Sunday, we've been um, announcing and participating in 40 t- Days to Life at our church. And I believe because of that, that spurred on a conversation that I had after church. And so just little things like that can bring up the conversation so that we can equip more people, help more people find healing and answers for this very difficult situation that probably has been ignored too much within the church context when we are the ones that actually have the ability to influence for righteousness sake, right? So... I think there is a lot of people that are passionate and would like to help, but they don't always know how. Once again, they're concerned about unnecessarily offending. So what would you say are some uh, qualities of someone who wants to be a pro-life ambassador? Yeah, so this is an excellent question. Um, And I would say there are three main characteristics um, that we need to be knowledgeable, we need to be compassionate, and we need to be wise because like you mentioned, this is a very uh, uh, difficult situation. This is a very difficult topic and um, we can uh, approach it out of like goodwill and good intent, but we can come across as harsh or um, judgmental. And I know that um, like when I was doing my internship with uh, the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, I was talking to this woman uh, in downtown Toronto, and it was one of the more difficult conversations I've had. Um, she was, you know, saying how she felt these images were very triggering to women. Um, mm. 
very traumatizing to women who have had miscarriages. And um, she was basically yelling at me for an hour straight um, and you know, wow. would not leave. And I was getting to the point of calming her down and being able to have a reasoned, you know, compassionate conversation. It took a while to, to find common ground, but I was just succeeding on that. And then um, this person came along on the street and he said that he was a Christian, but he immediately started attacking her and saying that you know, she was terrible no. um, for thinking that abortion was right and just went at her like crazy. And I was like, oh my goodness, I've just got to the point mm. where we can have this you know, conversation because she's calmed down. And then you know, this person with you know, good intentions came in, but um, with the wrong uh, tactics. So I think that, you know, we can do harm if we don't have compassion because uh, many Christians are like, well, abortion's wrong. It's murder. You know, these women should be locked up, that type of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's not the, the, the godly compassionate attitude. So it's balancing um, truth and sharing what abortion does to preborn children, sharing that information and knowledge that we've been trained in, but also showing these women that we care for them. Because mm-hmm. I always uh, remind myself, like, if this woman or this person that I'm talking to doesn't know that I care for them, how in the world are they going to think that I care for their preborn child or I care for preborn children? Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's really good information and a good reminder. And I think we have to put ourselves into their place and understand where they're coming from. If all their life, that's the narrative they've heard that, hey, if you get pregnant, you can always get rid of it. And, uh, you know, just it's it's not really a life yet. I think um, we can understand, not that it makes it right, but we can understand why they believe what they do. And so we have to, in a compassionate and educated way inform them and be patient with them they're not going to change their mind after one conversation in all likelihood right so we want to be patient with them and give them the information that they need in a compassionate way like you said because if we're not caring about them they're not going to listen to us they're just going to shut us down and uh, want to get away from us as quickly as possible right so um, can you give us some tools you've already given us some really good stuff but is there any other tools that you'd like to give us uh women that are uh, very passionate about this, things that we can do more than just pray and hold a sign in front of an abortion clinic or or hospital. What are other things that we can be doing to uh, get the word out and to change our culture on this? Yes. So there are um, about three like main tools that I want to share that are uh, very uh, effective and very easy to remember um, because often we can be overwhelmed with just the, you know, all the information. It's like, how do I remember like a few effective things to share when this topic comes up and I'm discussing with mm-hmm. people. And I think uh, one thing that's very important um, is to show and not tell because we can say to someone, abortion is wrong. It clearly is wrong. Mm. It's, it's killing a preborn child. And the person will just probably be defensive and be like, no, I don't think that's right. And then you can just get into this back and forth argument. Mm -hmm. And um, when asking questions is so uh, effective, because um, often like you may not have an, you know, ultrasound image nearby, you may not have an image of abortion uh, accessible or something like that. Um, But I will just ask people, like, have you seen ultrasound imagery? And um, when I was talking to uh, a Western student about this last year, um, he was actually one of the students running for, um, you know, very high position in the USC um, student union at Western. Um, But he was extremely pro-choice and he was a medical student. So I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. I said, have you seen ultrasound imagery? And he said, absolutely. And I asked him, like, what did you see? And without skipping a beat, he said, head, arms, toes, feet. And I was blown away because you know, previous to that, he was just saying that it was a clump of cells. 
and mm. that, you know, abortion um, just didn't really mean anything. You're just getting rid of some clumps of cells. But then as soon as I asked him if he had seen ultrasound imagery, um, that completely changed. And so instead of me telling him like I could have, and, you know, it is important to talk about, you know, um, the process of, of development uh, for preborn children. But if I asked him that, he was able to come forward with that instead of me telling him that. And we know um, from scripture that uh, Christ used parables, he used examples, and he asked a lot of questions because you're drawing that knowledge out of people, oftentimes that they're suppressing. Um, and when I asked him that it was like totally, uh, mm. shifted the conversation shifted. And instead of, cause often, um, as pro-life people, we can be very intimidated because often pro-choice people try to ask us all the questions. They try to batter us. They try to, you know, you're pro-life and that's a stupid position. So trying to make us defend it. Mm. And obviously we need to uh, be able to defend that position, but it's always putting the ball back in their courts because they're the mm. ones who think it's okay to dismember, decapitate and disembowel a preborn child. And so I always try to, um, like, for example, with a student, I sent him home with homework. I'm like, you know, go home and look up an abortion procedure online. Go see what it uh, entails. And um, thinking back to the ultrasound imagery that you were talking about earlier, um, do you think that's okay to do to a preborn child? And that completely um, like shifted the conversation. And of course, I was sharing knowledge with him, but I had to put the onus back on him because he mm -hmm. was the one um, in, in, in favor and in support of something like this. And um, so this also uh, entails, um, you know, using imagery. And for example, uh, last week I was in a Facebook conversation with someone and I shared with her um, a video from YouTube where Dr. Anthony Levitino, who is a former abortionist, he did a video um, uh, describing and going through with um, imagery, um, just like... Um, mm like the uh, computer generated imagery talking about um, all the different abortion procedures from right at the first trimester to the third trimester and what they mm. entailed. So it was about 20 minutes or so. And I shared that with her and uh, she watched it and she said, Hannah, previous to this, I never thought anything wrong with abortion, but she's like, I watched this video and she said, I wish I hadn't, but I'm so glad I did because I've never, I never realized what abortion did to preborn children. And she said that, you know, anybody who's thinking about an abortion, they need to watch that video. Um, Interesting. I'm just thinking here about, um, like, as Christians, we believe that life begins at conception. And so we're very convinced that abortion at any stage yeah. is wrong. What would you say is um, the belief for people who aren't Christians? Like, what do they believe? Like, do they believe that life really does only happen once they take their first breath, once they're uh, out of the birth canal? Or what's their view and how can you teach them that life actually does begin at conception? Yes. So with, with people um, who don't believe that uh, human life begins at fertilization, it can begin any time after that. And it, and it can also, in many cases, uh, like you said, also they believe that it, um, the human rights uh, begin and human life begins after the baby uh, exits the birth canal. So um, something that I like to point out to people when we're talking about that, it's um, once you have an arbitrary definition of human life, basically it can be okay to kill humans at any stage of life for any reason at all. Mm -hmm. And so um, I will ask them, uh, you know, using an analogy, which is uh, very, very effective asking questions, using analogies. Um, I will say, you know, for example, let's just say that a woman um, gave birth to her child and it was one month old. She lost her job. She ended up being in a very difficult situation and she was being abused. She didn't have the resources anymore to provide for her child. Do you think it would be okay for her to kill her child who is one month old? Majority mm. people will say, absolutely not. That's ridiculous. I mean, how, 
like mm. I can you they can't even imagine that mm-hmm. and then I'll say well then why is it okay to kill her child like for many people they believe like even the minute before it's born it's okay mm-hmm. to kill her child so I'll say why is it okay then to kill that child you know a couple weeks or a day or whatever before it's born it's the very same mm-hmm. child it's just earlier in its development that's good and would you say has that triggered any responses from your listeners or what would they what what is their general response to that then yes because um there's many different types of responses but i would say like the the one main thing that um i uh, point out to people because many people say hannah you know it's a difficult situation and every situation is different and i will agree with them finding common ground that Mm -hmm. yes every situation that a woman is in is absolutely different but i say there's one thing we can know for sure in every single situation is that that child is, and I try to use um, very descriptive language, like child, that type of thing, not just fetus, because even though mm-hmm. fetus just means it's just Latin for young one or young offspring, it doesn't tell us what something is. It just tells us how old mm-hmm. it is. That's often used as a dehumanizing term for preborn children. So I always mm-hmm. use the you know, term child. Um, but uh, yes, I will say that, um, you know, medically and scientifically, we know that human life begins at fertilization when the sperm and egg fuse together. Um, and if something is growing, doesn't it mean that it's also alive? Right. And then, and I will also, um, you know, ask what is the definition of abortion, right? Um, and we know mm-hmm. that it is the ending of a developing fetus. That's what often is, is, but it's um, something that's developing. It's something that's growing. And often people have the perception that like a preborn child is like a Lego toy being put together, piece here, piece here, piece there. But at fertilization, when the sperm and egg fuse together and we have the DNA from the mother and the father, all of the language for their development is in, um, uh, the uh, zygote there at the time of fertilization. And now uh, that zygote just needs the right amount of time and environment, the correct environment to fully uh, develop and grow. And I'll also ask um, the um, people that I'm talking with, um, do you know when the heartbeat is first able to be detected? Because often people will be like, okay, um, I think that abortion in the first 12 weeks or the first trimester is okay, but not afterwards. But then when Mm. I ask them, do you know when the heartbeat is first able to be detected? Um, You know, most people aren't sure. And I'll say, well, it's actually at three weeks. And most Mm. women don't know that they're pregnant until after that. So by the time they know that they're pregnant, um, their child already has a heartbeat. And then at six weeks, um, brain waves are able to be detected. And then at eight weeks, all of the organs that we have uh, as adults are fully mm. in place at that time. That's amazing. That's good information to have. And I would imagine that really impacts women when they're listening to that or even men and gets them thinking. And yet there's these crisis situations where everything gets blurred and you're just desperate and I think one of those situations is when a a girl has been raped and finds out that she's pregnant and so what is um what can you tell someone that says I believe abortion's wrong but I could never look this baby in the eye because after all the trauma that I've been through all I would ever see and remember is the person that actually did this horrible thing to me. How can you help that person? How can you respond to that person and guide them in the right direction? Yes. So this is um, especially a situation where it's so important to be empathetic, to be sensitive. And um, if it's specifically someone who has been sexually assaulted, um, I might like even just stop talking about abortion and just focus on Mm. how they are, ask them how they're doing. Um, If like, you know, if they're in an okay place, if they're in a safe place, if the um, person that's abused them, if they're out of their life um, and if they've been able to tell people that they trust. 
So I want mm-hmm. to know first and foremost how they are doing. Um, and it's amazing, um, like, uh, talking with people, whether people you know or people like complete strangers. I've talked to complete strangers on the street about like the most difficult situations in their mm. life and they felt comfortable to open up to me um, because through the grace of God, I was able to show them uh, that I care. So that's essential to know how they're doing first and foremost. Um, if it's someone specifically who's gone through that circumstance, and regardless if it's whether um, someone who's going through that or knows someone who's gone through it or someone who just brings it up, um, and they don't have any experience with it. It's so important to deal with this issue with sensitivity. And I will uh, 100% agree with them that this is the most one of the most heinous crimes against someone that anybody could ever do. Mm-hmm. And that we can both agree that here in Canada, we do not have um, tough enough laws against mm. those who uh, commit sexual assault. And always will agree on that immediately. So we have that common ground. And I, um, they know that I like take this issue very seriously. And um, I will also say that we um, can agree that there aren't enough resources for women who've gone through this difficult circumstance and that um, we uh, can agree that there needs to be greater focus on helping women to um, get healing, get hope and everything like that when they've gone through sexual assault. And then after that, I will say that, you know, here in Canada, when we don't even have the death penalty for people who commit mm. sexual assault, why would we give the death penalty to the innocent preborn child who had no mm. say in how he or she was conceived? And I'll also um, say that, you know, if you were to look at, just say there's people around us, I would say, like, could you tell by looking at these people, like, who was con- uh, conceived in a loving relationship and who was not? Mm. And do you think it would be okay to discriminate uh, against people based upon whether they were conceived in sexual assault or not? And most people would say, no, that's unacceptable. I mean, we should never do that. So I would um, go on to say that, you know, just like we want to help the woman uh, get healing and hope and um, be... Um, not be a victim, but be a victor through the circumstance. Um, mm. And there's already been one victim. Why would we want to also create a second victim? And then the woman would not only have to go through the trauma of the sexual assault, but then through the trauma of abortion as well. Mm. Can you expand on that a little bit? What are some of the the traumas that a woman faces after she has aborted a baby? Usually they're not talked about, but there's major consequence or not consequences um just side effects that she experiences emotionally physically from something like that so do you have any information on that that you could pass on to our listeners yes so like you said that this is something that's not uh talked about a lot but um there is a wonderful organization called silent no more that was Mm. uh um i think they're in the u.s but like they're available to people around the world and i've heard the woman who founded uh, this organization in person speak um and she had uh Uh, abortions herself and um she was going through talking about how back when she had her abortions she didn't think there was anything wrong with them she was in denial for many many years Mm. covering up the internal pain uh that she felt and um, now she started this organization to help women who uh, have had abortion and um, not only just women, but even men too have lost their children mm. to abortion. Um, depression is a huge uh, um, effect of abortion that many women have. They go through uh, a terrible a depression, period of depression afterwards. Um, some women also fall into self-harm and suicide. Mm. A suicidal ideation after that and also um, as Dr. Anthony Labatino explains in his abortion procedure videos um, talking about um, the different procedures especially uh, more of the like second and third trimester abortions um, they're incredibly dangerous for women because um, mm. the child's bones are completely formed and they're quite hardened and if the doctor is not careful um, the tools can he can puncture the woman's uterus with uh, his tools or the child's bones or skull can um, mm pierce the woman's uh, uterus 
our cervix as they're pulling out the child piece by piece. Um, so um, also there can be scar tissue left after the scalpel is left pulling out because they have to make sure that all the, I know this is very graphic, but they have to make sure that all the parts of the child um, mm. are pulled out. Otherwise she can have terrible infection afterwards. So they have to scrape her uterus and some women are not able to have children afterwards. And that's the case of the woman who um, founded Silent No More. She shares how she was never able to have children after her abortions. Mm, how heartbreaking because once she gets into a place of maybe more financial or emotional stability she might want to have children and that's no longer available very very sad thank you hannah you've uh, just really been very educational and informative i'm just wondering if you could give us any more resources that our listeners could access i think this is you know the beginning of really getting some really good information, but most of us need to hear it many times or read it many times before it really sinks in or we can communicate it well and be courageous enough to actually go out and and speak to other people. So what are some main resources that you would guide um, the average person to, to be equipped in this conversation? Yes. uh, Like like I mentioned earlier, like the first thing is just to be able to learn these resources and uh, um, and knowledge yourself in case that's something you're not familiar with. And then after that, like pray and ask how God would like you to, to use this uh, knowledge that you have um, because the know we more, the more we know, the more um, we're held accountable for that. And mm-hmm. um, the knowledge that we learn is meant to share with other people. So I would say um, there's a number of resources. One in particular, um, like kind of like the best all in one book uh, for pro-life people is called stuck a complete guide to answering tough questions about abortion. It's by Justina Van Manen. Uh, she's actually the sister of Jonathan Van Maren, who's one of the best, mm. most famous pro-life apologists here in Canada. Uh, she's absolutely amazing. And this book can be found on the bridgehead.ca. Um, I think it's also on Amazon as well. You can buy it for like $6 on Kindle. Um, and it is like, compilation of the last 50 years of pro-life apologetics here in Canada and the U.S. and um, tons of um, testimonies by uh, friends of mine from their activism on the street. Uh, So it's going through uh, every single thing you could wonder about abortion or anything that people could ever bring up about abortion. Every single difficult circumstance, the science of when human life begins, everything like that in a conversational Mm. format. Uh, to equip people to be able to share this with uh, others in their life. Also, if you, um, another ministry is Live Action. They're a ministry, uh, the biggest pro-life ministry in the States, uh, started by Lila Rose. They have tremendous uh, video resources in particular about abortion and specifically interviews from Dr. Anthony Levitino, the former abortionist, um, addressing issues like, is abortion ever medically necessary? That's something that Mm. people bring up a lot. And then if you like listening to podcasts, uh, there's a new uh, wonderful podcast here in Canada called The Pro-Life Guys. Mm. And they have um, so many guests on talking about all the different issues surrounding abortion. And just if you're getting ready in the morning, you're driving that type of thing, you can listen to their podcast and all about pro-life stuff to be able to equip uh, you to have conversations with other people about abortion. Awesome. Those both sound, or I think there's about three of them that you mentioned, really, really good. And we definitely live in a society where we have a lot of information. And with that, we want to take it in. We want to listen. We want to learn. But we definitely also need to rely more and more on the Holy Spirit and just praying that God would equip us and give us the courage to actually put our information into action. And that's really my heart. I think um, as Christians, we've just been spurred on even in the last year with everything going on in the world to take a greater role in our culture and to be more aware of what's going on. And we've been encouraged and reminded that 
when we speak up, we can make a difference. And so certainly in regards to everything going on in the last year, we've we've seen how our voice has made a difference. But that should motivate us and encourage us to also speak up for some of these other issues like abortion and even um, euthanasia and some of these other things that are really concerning us as Christians. And we've maybe just been too quiet or too too afraid to speak up thinking that we're actually not going to make a difference anyways. But I think all the things that you've told us today, that is excellent. And it just motivates us to, to really put our knowledge into action and uh, just continuing to pray and ask the Lord to use that. And so I'm just so thankful that you joined me today. I know as Christians, we need to be equipped with the facts, empowered by the spirit so that we can shape the culture around us. And that's what we want to be doing. If we understand ourselves as stewards of creation and image bearers of God, we need to change the world and um, be influencers there. So Hannah, thank you. God bless you and your continued activism on this very important topic. I do believe God's going to use you in great and mighty ways. I, I think I've shared this with you before, but it's super encouraging to myself to see young women like yourself active in your university and, um, just in the people with the people around you in your sphere of influence to just be a real culture shaper. So I'm so proud of you. Keep going and may God really bless that as you seek to advance his kingdom. So thanks for joining me. And uh, until next time, I just trust that God will encourage all our listeners and equip them with courage. Mm-hmm.